0: Jerry from Judah was working his way up to Jerusalem. He had a case to make. His neighbor Dave was encroaching on his territory. There were clear boundaries set out that Dave, his neighbor, was pushing in on and Dave didn't care and built something on Jerry's land. So, Jerry from Judah is working his way up to Jerusalem to make his case. He's basically come to the Supreme Court of Israel to lay out his problem. He is unhappy. As he gets nearer and nearer to the city gates it's early because back then you did a lot of the judicial wrangling legal stuff early a lot of the business of the city was done at the city gates going in and out and you showed up early to do it and as he got closer he noticed there was a line and well you know i guess i'm gonna join this line and as he gets closer he he listens at the end of it there's a good looking dude i think very friendly, and people are laughing, and he's giving everybody a hug, and he gets closer, the next guy, his case is heard, and, and then the next guy, and, and as he gets closer, he sees that this man has long, flowing hair, and he's like, whoa. That is some of the best-looking hair he's ever seen, and he likes his own hair, but man, this guy's got long, flowing, luscious locks, and he's thinking, man, this guy is a good-looking dude. (gasps) I know who this is. This is Absalom, and as he gets closer, he's like, Absalom. It's true, everybody says he's the best-looking man in all of Israel. I mean, that's what it said in the earlier chapter. And yes, Jerry from Judas thinking, Absalom is a good-looking dude. And finally, he gets up to Absalom. And Absalom gives him a hearty handshake, and he smiles. And when Absalom smiles... Jerry's like, whoa, you are a man's man. You are cool. And then he starts talking and he's heard about Absalom, how he defended his sister Tamar against his half-brother Amnon and had him murdered. Wow, that's impressive. And Jerry's like, yes, this is my sort of guy. And Absalom, he's standing there and he's smiling. He goes, tell me your problem. Jerry from Judah. So Jerry tells him his big complaint. And probably Jerry from Judah has been up here before to try to get somebody to listen to his complaint, but nobody's been around. Because it seems like David, at this point, is getting a little older. And you get the sense that maybe he hasn't been taking care of matters as good as he should have. He isn't listening to cases as well as he should have, so some things are falling apart. And Absalom, after hearing Jerry's story, says, You know what, Jerry? If I was king, I'd rule in your favor. Clearly you were not treated nicely here. Clearly Dave's encroaching on your territory. And Jerry's like, yeah, you're right, you know. And and Jerry's smiling and Absalom's like, you know what? Don't tell anybody, but if I was king, I'd rule in your favor. And he gives Jerry a hug and kisses him on both sides of the cheek. And off goes Jerry. His case isn't any different, I don't think. Absalom isn't king, and he just says he would rule in his favor. Absalom will be king one day when David dies. But Jerry's thinking, you know what? What if Absalom was king now? And Jerry goes home. And he thinks, you know, Absalom is a really cool guy. Huh. David's getting old. He's in his middle 40s, maybe early 50s. He's getting older for that time period. That was old. And he's probably thinking, I don't know, David is not as cool as he used to be. Plus... With all that Patsheba stuff that he did, and he's not ruling like he should be, and I barely got my case heard, and and then I guess a lot of people did not like Joab, his second-in-command during this time. So there's a growing discontent, and Absalom, he was feeding that discontentment. So when Jerry goes back, he starts thinking, I'm on Team Absalom. If I could have a king, if I could have a vote, I'd vote for Absalom right now. And Jerry starts talking to Frank, who's for Absalom, and Judah. And Frank starts talking to Steve. And Steve to Dave. And they all start talking. And they're slowly chanting, Absalom, 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 Absalom. But little do they know. Behind that smiling, beautiful face lies a heart who is bitter and angry and he doesn't want to wait to be king, no. He wants to start a coup and he's going to use all these discontented Israelites to do it. How would we get here? Well, remember, David, Nathan said, from your own house, there's going to arise somebody who's going to cause you trouble. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And remember that Absalom was absent, didn't talk to his father for five years. This is a patient man. But it's also a very bitter and angry man who hates his father, essentially hates David because David didn't do anything to Amnon for doing something horrible to Absalom's sister Tamar. Well, Absalom took matters into his own hand, right? And killed Amnon. And then finally, dad, David, and son Absalom are reunited and everything's great, but they're not really talking to each other. And Absalom is slowly building up this coalition of discontented Israelites to slowly, under their breath, chant Absalom, Absalom, because he may be patient in some things, but he does not want to wait for David to die for him to become king. He wants to be king now. And it says in 1 Samuel 15, for the next four years, Absalom comes up early every morning and stands at the city gates and listens to these people's complaints. And he keeps telling each one, if I was king, I'd rule in your favor. If I was king, I'd rule in your favor. If I was king, I'd rule in your favor. And he's handsome and he's charming. And he starts to get into the hearts of various men in each of the 12 tribes. And he waits four long years to build this coalition of discontented men in Israel. And then finally Absalom decides, now is the time to spring my trap. So he goes to his dad king david he says hey hey dad again four years after being in jerusalem i mean he's patient in one way it took him four years to show up every day to the city gates and to get inside the hearts of these people four long years but now he's got his coalition and it's all secret and david doesn't know a thing about it the wool is pulled completely over his eyes and absalom says hey dad i want to go to hebron where David was first crowned king. And this is where the temple was at this time. And he says, hey, I want to go there and I want to sacrifice because I made a vow when I was in exile in Geshur. I made a vow to the Lord and I've got to go fulfill it. So I've got to go to this temple and I've got to make this vow. Please, I got to go do it, Dad. I got to go do it. I got to fulfill my vow to the Lord. And David's like, all right, you go do it. So Absalom goes, but before he goes, He sends out secret agents to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, I want you to tell the men that are on my side, the women that are on my side, that the minute they hear the trumpet blow, I want you to tell them Absalom is king in Hebron. When you hear that trumpet blow, Absalom is king in Hebron. Tell them that. All right, so he sends out the secret agents. And then Absalom gets 200 of the most influential men in Jerusalem. And he says, hey, come with me to Hebron, and I want you to watch me make my vow to the Lord, and I want you to celebrate with me my sacrifice to the Lord. And these men are like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. And he picks some of the most influential and most persuadable men, men that he can manipulate and get on his side, it says these men went to Hebron, not knowing what Absalom wanted to do, but once there, they were on Absalom's side, so Absalom leaves with 200 men, and as he gets to Hebron, the trumpets are blowing to announce his entrance, and the secret agents tell absalom is king in hebron absalom is king in hebron and everybody like jerry from judah who was on team absalom yeah they all start to chant absalom 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 and he announces himself king (gasps) while men hear this and messengers run to jerusalem and they say david a coup is on. Absalom has just declared himself king of Israel. There's a coup on. And David's like, oh no, you know what? He pauses and thinks for a second. We have got to get out of Jerusalem now. Now, why'd he do that? You know, why would he decide to get out of Jerusalem? It seems to me that Jerusalem would be the best place to be. It's way up on a hill. It's a really easily defensible place. It's hard to get at. Why would you flee? Well, remember, David, he's getting older, and he may not be the most moral person. But remember, David was a military genius, and I think this was smart. He knew, number one, probably that he didn't have enough food to withstand a siege, because that's what David would have had to have gone through. Absalom would show up with his forces, surround Jerusalem, and basically cut off all trade and cut off all food going in and coming out of Jerusalem. And he'd starve them out. And David knew, I don't have enough food to take care of my people. We got to get out. Plus, he probably knows... He only has about six to eight hundred fighting men, and his forces would be small compared to all the men that Absalom can now. From And he knows, I've got to get out into maybe open country where I can fight better. I can't be caught up here in this small area in Jerusalem. So it's smart, dude. And he gets out of town. And he starts to flee. And he gets all his men, the Gathites, the Gittites, the Cherethites, and all the other mites and ites with him. And it says he starts to run out of the city. And it says David stops. At the last house. Everybody knew once you passed this house, you were out of Jerusalem on your way to Jericho. And everybody knew 14 Meriwether Lane, that was the last house. So David stopped at this house and he let everybody pass by. He wanted to see who went with him. It says the Gittites went with him and the Cherethites went with him. And it talks about 200 men went with him, and then 600 of his most valiant men who fought with him in the desert when he fought Saul, they came with him, and then marching along behind with his family in tow with his wife and all his kids is Ittai the Gittite. And David's like, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Ittai? Good to see you, but Ittai, you really, you you don't have to go with me. See, Ittai the Gittite was a Philistine. And it seems like during one of the battles between Israel and the Philistines, Ittai decided to switch sides. I think Ittai decided there's something about this Yahweh that David seems to represent that is something special and I've got to switch sides. I'm not going to believe in my God any longer. So Ittai, the Gittite, switches sides. And he just joined David's army when this whole coup took place. And he's marching along to go out with David. And David says, Ittai, you're a foreigner. You don't have to wander around with me. And he says, go back and join, it says, the king. He says, Absalom... Is the king. David calls Absalom the king. Now, why does he do that? I think he did that because David knows this is punishment. Absalom coming in and taking the city and starting a coup is punishment. God's judgment upon him. And he doesn't know if he's going to give him back the kingship. And for all David knows, Absalom is the new king. And he says, go back. Maybe God's favor has joined him. Maybe God's favor is with him. And and you go back and join him. And then Ittai says something significant. Ittai says, as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, Wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. As Yahweh lives is how Itai begins. And yes, he's committed his soul and his heart to David. And he says, as long as the king lives, wherever the king shall be, I will be there, whether for death or for life. But notice he begins it with, as Yahweh lives. It ties essentially saying, I'm your man, David, because I trust the God that you serve. And whether for death or for life, I'm going to be your servant. And I think when David heard that, he must have been so encouraged. He must have been so moved and I think in that moment, it must have been a big encouragement to see the faith of Ittai in Yahweh. David wrote some psalms as he was fleeing this moment. You know, He wrote Psalm 3. He wrote Psalm 55. And in Psalm 3, it says, O Lord, verse 1, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. There is no salvation for him in God. That's what he's saying men are saying about him. And I think at this moment he's incredibly discouraged. And to hear Ittai live with such faith, that must have been so encouraging. Well, Ittai begins to leave. And and, and David says, go on then, pass on. So Ittai goes. And as he goes along, David then finds out. That a good friend of his has switched sides. David finds out that one of his best friends, one of his biggest counselors, has decided to switch sides and join Team Absalom. Ahithophel, one of his prize counselors, has decided to switch sides. What's that? Again, in Psalm 55, David writes, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. When he finds out Ahitophel, one of his prime counselors, has decided to switch teams, he's crushed. We used to take sweet counsel together. My companion, my familiar friend. See, Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. Bathsheba was his granddaughter. And I think Ahithophel, he held bitterness in his heart. He must have hid it well for the way David treated Bathsheba and the whole humiliation of that moment. And he held it a long time. And Ahithophel was probably persuaded by the charm of Absalom, and he switched sides, and David was in anguish because he was his friend. But he also knew Ahithophel's a smart dude. And Ahithophel is going to give wise counsel to Absalom, and he knew he was in trouble. So he begins to walk over the brook Kidron, And as he's leaving the brook Kidron, all of a sudden, Zadok and Abiathar show up. The priest Abiathar and the prophet or the seer Zadok, they show up at the Ark of the Covenant. And David says, listen, you can't take the Ark of the Covenant. No, send it back to Jerusalem. And and David says, listen, if God is on my side, I'm going to return If God is on my side, let's let all the people pass through it so they can see it. But I need you to go back to the city because the Ark of the Covenant doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the people. And David says, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he's going to bring me back and let me see it. I'd love to take it with me, but I can't. Send it back. But then David says, listen. When you send it back, Zadok and Abiathar, Abiathar, you're the priest, Zadok, you're the prophet, I want you to stay, and I want you to get good in with Absalom, and I want you to pretend to be his friend, and then whenever you hear any any interesting news or any interesting ideas, then I want you to send Ahimaaz your son and Jonathan, your son, and, and I want you to send them back to the fords of the wilderness the special spot and they'll be able to tell me what's happening do that all right Abiathar send your son Jonathan and Zadok send your son Ahimaaz and those two can come back and tell me the information you know plus I can't take the ark with me it's not mine it belongs to Israel so Zadok and Abiathar Abiathar the priest Zadok the prophet they head back with the Ark of the Covenant. And David begins to ascend the Mount of Olives. And he starts to go up. And somebody comes to him again and says, Hey, Ahithophel, he's going to be a counselor for Absalom. What is up with this? What's going to happen? And as he begins to ascend, a messenger comes and tells him, the your greatest counselor is is on team absalom and david is so discouraged he's crushed and as he gets closer to the top of the mount of olives He notices at the top there's a place where they would worship the Lord and he wants to pause there and worship Yahweh and cry out for help. And as he gets there, this is the moment when he needs it the most. He has just found out that Ahithophel, one of his favorite counselors, his companion, his friend, has gone to the other side at one of his lowest moments At one of his darkest moments, guess who should show up? Hushai the Archite. Now, Hushai the Archite was probably an old dude, because David says, hey, you know, Hushai the Archite shows up with, with, with torn clothes and dirt on his head, which basically means he's mourning, and he's on Team David. Hushai shows up and he says, I want to be with you and I will go with you. Now Hushai, the archite, is another one of David's wise counselors. All his friends have not abandoned him. But Hushai's old and they've got to run fast and they've got to get out of town now. And David says, listen, you can't come with me. Instead, Hushai, I've got a plan. I think David looks up to heaven and he smiles and he says, Thank you, Lord, for at the darkest moment, one of the most discouraging moments, God sends somebody to encourage him. He sent him Ittai before and now he sends Hushai because he's got a plan. And David says, Listen, I need you, Hushai, to go back. And I need you to get in good with Absalom. And I need you to tell him, hey, hey, Absalom, I'll be your servant, O king. I-, I was one of the best counselors for David, but now I am totally on your team. I need you to be a double agent. I need you to pretend to be on Absalom's team. But really, when he starts to tell you information, when you get in good with him and he starts to give you intel, I need you to go tell Zadok and Abiathar, who will then tell Ahimeas, and Jonathan. And then they'll tell me. In an instant, David now has aspiring to beat all spirings. Plus, he says to Hushai, I need you to counter all the great advice of Ahithophel. Any great thing Ahithophel says, I need you to trash it. Any great thing Ahithophel says, and it's great counsel, I need you to come up with something even better that does the exact opposite. I need you to undercut him at all times. And Hushai says, all right. And they high-five and they agree. And Hushai hobbles back, ready to play the role of the best counselor Absalom ever had. And chapter 15 ends with this, that Hushai enters the city just as who shows up? Absalom. What's going to happen? Well, David's plan... For who's shy to be a double agent work? Will Absalom take over the throne? Well, you got to listen to the next episode to find out. But it strikes me interesting that twice I think God sends just the right person to encourage David. I think he sends Ittai, the Gittite, to encourage David to have confidence in the Lord and have faith in Yahweh. And then just at one of his darkest moments, when he finds out about Ahithophel, this great counselor has gone to the other side, and now he's stabbed him in the back. God sends him Hushai to be the perfect foil, the perfect counter. And it's like God is saying to David, I haven't forgotten you. I'm on your side. In Psalm 3, again, where David wrote while he was running away from Absalom, he writes in verse 1 O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, verse 3, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I think in the middle of all this, David could write this psalm of great faith because of people like Ittai, and who's shy, and God sending them in his path at the right time. And I just want to encourage you, if you are discouraged at this moment, maybe you're thinking, you know, whether it's something in your home, or or you're facing some obstacle at work, or some big mountain, you feel like there is no way I'm going to make my way through this. And God, you have forgotten me. One thing you can pray is, Lord, send me people to encourage me. Send me moments where I know that you are here and that you are with me. Send me moments, Lord, where I can say that you are my glory and the lifter of my head. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I pray that whatever you're facing right now Okay.